0: Having garnered unanimous acclaim amongst critics, radio programmers, like-minded artists and record shops alike, Jane Weaver's album, The Silver Globe, is still commanding the attention of newfound fans on a daily basis.
1: It sort of spoke to me, it linked in with what I was doing with my record, and I was sort of getting a bit obsessed by it, and it sort of stayed with me then until till the end of recording. But I ended up calling the record
0: The Silver Globe. Ahead of her first appearances at South by Southwest in Texas, Jane sits down with Pete Mitchell to talk about the making of the Silver Globe and her transatlantic ambitions.
2: I have in front of me a vinyl copy of the Silver Globe on Bird Records, a Finders Keepers production. And the lady who put this magnificent record out is with me, Jane Weaver. Hello.
1: Hi, Pete.
2: Says on the back here, written and produced by Jane Weaver. Can I ask you about some of the uh, the instruments you played on the, on the record?
1: Yes, go on.
2: Vocals, keyboards, yeah. synths, RMI keyboard.
1: Rocky Mountain Instruments
2: oh, keyboard. Casio MT-46. Yes. Moog. Yes. Roland. Yes. Korg. Parfisa, guitars, we can go on. What's a Marxophone?
1: (laughs) It's kind of a thing that you press and it It's like a hammer and it creates a vibration. I think, from what I can recall, it was in a studio in a long time ago.
2: And the vibraphone, that's a lot.
1: It's a heady mix. It is.
2: (laughs) And in an odd sort of way, it brings us around to the very beginning because you were demoing in your own studio in 2010 with a a couple of Casio keyboards with an idea that you'd written some years previous, which would uh, later become Don't Take My Soul on the Record. And you demoed a lot of the album there, just you and the the 8-track, using broken keyboards and various drum machine presets and all of that. What were your thoughts at the time going into uh, making what would turn out to be the, uh, the Silver Globe?
1: Well, at the time I just wanted to do... I'd, I'd done an album previously called The Fallen By Watchbird and I was experimenting a lot more with keyboards and synths and taped echo vocals. So I wanted to move something which was more sort of soundtrack more space rock, but then again I kept hearing more sort of pop melodies in my head and I was thinking... Oh, how am I going to manage this one? Because uh, they're entirely different things. Mm. So, that, that's always, I started writing at the end of, of 2010. And then I ended up going to working with David Holmes in America in the studio, which was great. And doing the first two tracks and start of the record before, after my demos, were working with David Holmes in this amazing studio in LA called Vox. Right. recording
2: studios It's kind of what the stuff of dreams are made of that working out in LA with a great producer just starting the record that, yeah. I couldn't think of anything it, better
1: Yeah I mean it's, luckily he is a friend but it's one of those things where it doesn't matter if somebody's a friend and they're good at what they do sometimes you don't ask them because you're a bit shy like can you work with me because mm. you know they are busy or whatever but it was actually uh, my husband Andy who encouraged me to get in touch with David and see if we could get together and, and do something and it, it worked out really well having not worked with a producer for a long, long time because I normally just produce everything myself. It was great. I let him take the lead on a lot of stuff in the shoot. But
2: while you were in LA you, you began to write further bits. You had more ideas that was inspired by other sessions. Stealing Gold for one that you began to put together in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, I mean, Stealing Gold I already had the backbone of but I wrote the lyrics when I was in LA and it's quite funny because it was inspired by the fact that I'd been to LA before but there was a lot of people walking around with contacts, networking, business cards and I just had like a buyer. In the back of the hand, it and uh, did it work? The biro it, in the back still, of the yeah, hand. Yeah, even it's still a little bit like that. La, you know, I love it, but it's still got that thing. Everybody's got cards, business <laughs> cards. So it it's so a it, weird it thing to inspired. focus on. I have to say, <laughs> it's not about business cards. It's about yeah. that kind of networky thing. But then it's at, you know, it also sounds like a bit of a bittersweet love song as well. So take from it what you will. You are whether
2: Listen back to those songs recorded with David out in LA, Stealing golden Arrows. Do they sound different? Because they, it's the, the first proper recordings for the record. And uh, I suppose if you listen back now, do they, do they stand out? Are they different?
1: They, they, they kind of do, only because it reminds me of that particular time. Mm. Yeah. But they do fit in with the rest of the record. But then uh, I will say, after recording in Vox when I came back to the UK the, the other main studio that I used was similar in a way it was a studio called Eve Studios or is a studio called Eve Studios in in Stockport and that is again owned by a person who's a collector and knows all about weird and wonderful instruments and collects stuff and weird bits and bobs right. you know unusual pieces of kit that not everybody has you know we used a lot of tape and tape looping ideas right. lots of space echo a Binson which is like a very
2: Distinctive oh, echo sound Showing off now I have no idea What you're talking about
1: Yes yeah, some people will yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm sure they will I'm sure they will You started in 2010 Then in LA in 2011 With David Holmes And it began to take shape Because it became Very complex and very layered That wasn't there At the very beginning Or was the idea in your head That this is going to be Quite layered and textured And, and all of that And big and you know Sort yeah. of cinematic
1: Well when I started I knew Some of the songs Were recorded Like on Casio keyboards And I knew That I would have to Obviously overdo and stuff They'll yeah. be bigger, but then for some songs I was hearing, like Argent, for instance, or Mission Desire, when I was demoing those, they were pretty basic, but I knew that the sound I was hearing in my head was a lot more comprehensive, and at the start, that's what I said to Andy, my husband, I said, oh gosh, I think it's, it's going to take a while for me to do this, because financially going in and out the studio mm. you, it was something i couldn't do, just do at home really so yeah. i knew that i was going to have to shell out and right. go in the studio <laughs> which i love you know i am a, i am a studio nerd and and i really yeah. do love going in the studio
0: Ooh,
2: Throughout the recording process, there is always one song, one moment that gives the album maybe a a change in direction. There's a tipping point somewhere along the line. There's a a song or a couple of songs that stand out that really are the spine of the record.
1: I think after I came back, then we started doing Argent, started doing some drum and bass recording, not drum and bass but mm. you know yeah i
2: get you <laughs> i get <getcha>. you
1: <laughs> like a drum kit yeah and some yeah. bass in in a studio called 80 hertz in manchester <laughs> did the, tr- the backing tracks for argent what became argent mission desire your time in this life is just
2: it's just a happy. good runner of good run of songs that so
1: it? within the two days yeah. we were there, we, we got quite a lot of the backing done and then overdubbed at eve but i think that argent once i started overdubbing and using a, a lot more synths to to create this sort of sound of argent that's when i thought you know it's quite a heavy motoric muscular backing and it mm. had a lot of sort of um in my head a lot of sort of stereo labby layered layered vocals mm. You know, I knew that that was a kind of turning point for me.
2: the Electric Mountain is I guess very important to you for a a number of reasons the inspiration from uh, growing up in the the Wirral and the holidays in, in North Wales and Childhood Heroes the originators of space rock what was the starting point for this track?
1: From previous demos, I'd, I'd started, um you know, doing stuff on my Casio keyboards and other broken. I've got quite a lot of broken bits of equipment from the, the nineteen seventeen. <laughs> so it's quite, it's quite good though because some of the drum machine, some of the presets on the drum machines don't work properly, so you can't you know, yeah. sometimes miss a beat. So it, makes it, it makes it completely yeah, yeah. unique yeah. <laughs> to that song. Anyway, so I, I started out with. Um, Electric Mountain and then found a perfect match in that I wanted to use a sample from something to create like um, an underbelly to the whole song that I had and ended up using a sample from a song called Star Cannibal by Hawkwind, it's actually on an album called Church of Hawkwind so I think, I don't know it's more of a Dave Brock solo project but it's certainly a record I grew up with when I was in my, Mm. my late teens. And quite an
2: influence on you, Hortwind, weren't they?
1: Yeah, I would. I would say. I mean, I haven't got every album because mm. I, I'm. Not, I don't think I'm old enough to have every album. <laughs> quite a, there's quite a catalogue
2: there.
1: I had to ring up Dave Brock and ask for permission. Who are you going to call,
2: Hartwind? <laughs> oh, <good.
1: laughs> because I knew that I'd, I didn't want to recreate it. It's one of the things I could have recreated something similar, but I thought, nah, let's just, mm. you know, use a sample and ask permission, not try and recreate mm. and rip it off. Let's be honest about this. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, And
1: and he said, yeah. I was really nervous talking to him because I was, you mm. know, a bit of a fan. It's like
2: <laughs> a f- perfect fit because it's space rock. It's a combination of yeah. the two things. Isn't um, they? they were and always the sub- there. I mean, yeah. they are the inventors of space rock, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Also, the the subject matter was pulled from the fact that every time I went to Wales in the in North Wales, which is a place I've gone to for donkey's years, I always used to see the sign, the the Electric Mountain, Mm. and I used to think, what is the Electric Mountain? And it's like, you know, a tourist sign. Mm. Apparently it's a power station, just before, I think, Bethesda in North Wales. I I was kind of fictionalising this kind Mm. of electric mountain, which, you know, people would go to and get energy from and stuff. I grew up in Widnes, which is a chemical town, and you know there's places that make glue, there's places that make pharmaceuticals like ICI, and there's places that make weed killer, Prozac, and so yeah, yeah, mm. Prozac also, always a good one. So I grew up in that area. There wasn't much going on, and I think one of the inspirations for the record is the fact that I grew up in this kind of environment. And at night, it was amazing because, like ICI at night, if you ever seen mm, it, yeah, it just looks like this amazing futuristic. City. It does. All the
2: lights, all the steam it's coming like, out. Wow, what yeah. goes on there? It's space 1999 yeah. or whatever. Yes, yeah, so it is. It, it,
1: it's kind of stayed with me. I was always embarrassed about growing up there, but I think it's actually, ah, yeah. uh, it, yeah. it's good. It's a good thing. Well, it's, you know?
2: uh, it's the the aspiration to get out of town and move on is 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 a common. Did the, the concept of the record then change as you went along recording it?
1: Well, ha- the halfway through. I was having this these sort of futuristic, dystopian kind of pictures for each song and i accidentally watched because my husband releases film soundtracks and he was looking to release something off on the silver globe by andrei jawofsky and he was watching it and i just thought gosh this is such a bizarre film and i couldn't stop watching it it's set in the future and it's about a group of astronauts who go to another planet to create another civilization it sort of spoke to me it linked in with what i was doing with my record and i was sort of getting a bit obsessed by it and it sort of stayed with me then until till, till the end of recording. But I ended up calling the record The Silver Globe.
2: Of course, this process took quite a long time, and there's a number of people, I suppose important people that have been involved with the project. Let's talk about Don't Take My Soul and badly drawn boy Damon Goff, who plays the guitar synth. Is that right?
1: In Eve, they've got this amazing guitar synth, which is basically a guitar and it, it, it produces like a synthesizer noise. it got like a pedal thing with it. And uh, it was once owned by Status Quo. <laughs> so I was like, I am going to use that on, on everything everything that I can because it's good good energy. And so um, Andy asked Damon to come into the studio and do a guitar solo initially for Don't Take My Soul, which was done really. And uh, I said, you must play the guitar sin And so he did. Right. He came in and...
2: He just came in and just did and it? And did it, yeah. It's quite central to the record, not, not to take it away. Your work yeah, it's on the record, yeah, it is The powerful. guitar synth
1: is quite a powerful instrument. It
2: is, it is it, yeah. I
1: think um, it's also on Argent as well. It's the it's the opening splange, right, the keyboard splange, oh, on, on the beginning of Argent. So it's got it has got quite a, an identity to it.
2: Also on the record, uh, electro-pioneer Susan Chiani, who is, is an exceptional musician.
1: Yeah, she's she provided me with some buchal waves, which are very kind of her.
2: Another extraordinary musician, BC Camplight, plays on Your Time in This Life is Just Temporary.
1: Yes, On BC piano. Camp Light was also in Eve at the time that I was I was finishing your time in this life is just temporary. I remember
2: the records of BC Camp Light. Yeah, he's, from, he's a
1: very talented dude and, and I was yeah. just I kept saying to him Can you just come in and play piano in this? And he's like, I'm just busy and I was yeah. asking oh. the end, I was like, can you just get him to come in? And eventually he did and it Coaked literally him. he said he's so he's so great. He just did it in like about ten minutes and <laughs> just went and it he has such such a style mm. and, and really, you know, he did make that record really.
2: also an amazing sax break on the track Argent
1: well, that's another thing. I, I, I remember seeing a Cybertron video, you know, good few years ago, and saying to my husband, "I was like, what is this band? I've never seen anything like this video." It's a band called Cybertron, from like a prog band from Australia, from the seventies or eighties. So Andy was actually knew somebody who knew Steve Maxwell von Braun, who's from mm. uh, Cybertron, <laughs> and came to help out and do solo, mm. which was very fax, very pleased for a, about. For a
2: sax solo, it works pretty well, I have to say, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, but this is it. It's it was a bit when it was suggested about sax solo I sort of like balked a bit and thought I don't know I'm not sure but um, it does actually work worked for some um, great musicians. When when I was in LA, working with David, I was working with Woody Jackson, who played on some of the records, and he's an amazing soundtrack writer and musician. And then back back at home, I was working primarily for like, the guitar stuff with Pete who Also went on to do some mixing as well. And I was working with Brian Edwards and Dave Monk, who did the bass and the drums. And yeah, but most of the overdubs I did in Eve in studios with just me and Henry the engineer which was, it was nice really you know it, we, we just used to work quite quickly.
2: The album also has, you know, that style of its own, of course, amazing artwork by uh, Andy Votel and who was kind of responsible for the way you looked at the styling and everything?
1: Rebecca Lupton, who's a really good friend, we had this idea for the styling of the photographs and styling of the album that I should look like I'm from the future. (laughs) And my friend Katie Brodie, who's a makeup artist, came down and we kept saying more glitter, more more this. We just really embellished on my face and, uh, you know, backed up some amazing, sort of ethereal type futuristic pictures, which then became part of the sleeve.
2: So this mammoth recording project is over. The records out, critically received well. Radio play, and then it comes to the live shows. I know for a fact that the highlight of some of your live uh, shows was uh, the appearance at Glastonbury. Jane.
1: Yes, obviously I've been to Glastonbury, but never played there, and so I got to do two gigs and radio sessions and interviews. Yeah. So that was just fantastic. Yeah. You know. How did was... the
2: shows go? Were you nervous about them? Or are you just going? I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy the moment.
1: I did. I did say to myself, just enjoy the moment, because the first. Gig we did was the West Halt stage, and they were lovely. They were all really championing me, and, and you know, invited me early on to do it. So I was just didn't want to let anybody down. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know that thing. Mm. I don't want it to be rubbish. And I knew, I knew the band are great. And then you wear your spacesuit for
2: that gig? Yes, I that? did. I
1: have I had my friend, my lovely friend Emma,
2: a shiny um, make catsuit. me a.
1: Jumpsuit, electric mountain wow. jumpsuit.
2: You were glittering. Oh, you, still, you were silver, <laughs> obviously, but you know, yeah, silver so, glitters, doesn't it? So that
1: was uh, a definite highlight. And then we got to do, you know, a lot of festivals last year and our own tour. And this year. You More or less a the, sellout
2: tour, wasn't it, by the way? Yeah, a lot of the were
1: sold out. Yeah. And just got Very to meet gratifying. a lot of lovely people. Here we
0: go. Oh.
2: So very soon you uh, take off for the United States of America with two performances at South by Southwest. The very first time you've played at the uh, festival, whatever it is, and uh, looking forward to it, I'm sure you are.
1: You know, South by Southwest is something that I've I've always wanted to do. And I've been asked before, but I've never been able to get over there because it's, it's quite expensive. So it's was really chuffed that I got um, PRS Foundation funding to allow me to... To get over there you know stay over there for for as long as the festival's on a lot of people haven't heard you know the album so it's like a new thing again so At at the end of the day it's like you you want people to hear your music wherever.
2: Mm. Isn't the idea to, to see how it goes, then hopefully play New York, L.A., the major yeah, cities generally? Be, that, that's that that's the be ideal, lovely. isn't that would it? Be, yeah. That would be lovely to do an American tour, something like that. How important then is to have a bit of success in America? Do you think about it much? Is it like? A, does it seem like a logical step at the moment?
1: You no, know, it's something I've always wanted to do, do a lot of gigs in America. You're ticking but maybe, a lot of things off. <laughs> it's it's on the bucket
2: list, definitely. <laughs>
1: yeah. But, you know, it's, it's also such a, a huge... Place as well. Until you're there, and I will say, when I was in the studio with David, when you're there, you you know, you West Coast, and you, mm. and you do get that that sort of psychedelic West Coast vibe. Uh, yeah. We, mm. uh, I was feeling it when I was there. Oh, it's yeah. it, it's in the air, yeah. A
2: couple of shows then in uh, on March the, the 16th. A couple of shows on the same day could be even more by the time you get there. The, the British Music Embassy is there such a place at 15th. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> get there, it's takeaway. <laughs> it's, it's a it's pizza shop. Yeah, embassy, yeah, and then. Then, uh, a bigger gig later on that night at St. David's Historical Sanctuary. These are quite grand titles they have at, in Texas. And then you've also been working on some new stuff as well, which is...
1: Yeah, I've got a, a whole load of new songs as well for the is next record. Any,
2: any time scale on that? No.
1: Quicker than the last one <laughs> is the, the uh, goal. Yeah, yeah, uh, Much quicker than the last one.
2: Not four or five years? No. Maybe something something <laughs> something maybe something new by the end of the year, perhaps? something.
1: That's, That's the, the intention, plan. yes. Okay. yeah.
2: So, just to reiterate... Jane Weaver playing songs from The Silver Globe at South by Southwest in Texas. You can see Jane on March the 16th at the British Music Embassy at 10 to 4, 15.50 and then later on at St. David's Historical Sanctuary at 11pm. Do check Jane Weaver out, Jane. As as always, lovely to spend some time with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Pete. The Silver Globe by Jane Weaver. For more information, go to janeweavermusic.com